We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, the Baltimore Ravens are looking to get a bitter taste out of their mouths, trying to redeem their epic collapse and embarrassing loss to the Miami Dolphins last week. And they get a chance to do so by traveling up to Foxborough to take on Bill Belichick's New England Patriots. Both teams are one and one. It's John Harbaugh versus Bill Belichick. Lamar Jackson coming in against their young quarterback, Mac Jones. So much to break down. We got so much sound, so many angles to look at. I am Sarah Ellison alongside my co-host, Bobby Trossett. Bobby, what a massive, massive game coming up for both teams. It has been a long, long week with a vicious news cycle in Baltimore, Sarah. So I think this goes without saying it is finally time to turn a page Right. What's in the past is in the past at this point. The tape is out there. I'm sure it was a very difficult week in terms of film study and film preparation for the Ravens secondary, specifically in Mike McDonald's room. But hey, you know, like I said, what's in the past is in the past. And they have to move forward quickly here because it's week three and the Patriots don't have any plans of slowing down, you know. And so really at the forefront of my mind is realizing, thanks to Ravens PR and, and the statistics that they provide on a weekly basis, Sarah, as much as there's been a storied rivalry between these two teams in postseason, and the Ravens certainly having some success in postseason play against the Patriots over the years, this team has never won in regular season play at Gillette <laughs> Stadium. That's hard to believe. It is crazy. I mean, if you're going to pick between one of the two, it's better, I guess, to win in the postseason, but you're playing a lot more in the regular season. So now look, Looking back on that, those were all those years of losing was with the with Tom Brady leading those teams, right? So, as you said, the past is in the past with that uh, Dolphins game, and you know the past is way in the past with Tom Brady gone. I mean, it's just it's just a totally different team up in New England. That's not to downplay. This is not going to be an easy matchup. They still have a future Hall of Fame head coach, um, but it's going to be different with Mac Jones under center instead of Tom Brady. So let's kind of pick things up right there. Um, to me, Bobby, the Ravens have uh, a lot of things to work on. I mean, we we are leaving the past in the past, and at the same time you have to learn from the past. And Baltimore's past defense is the worst defense in football right now, past defense. They've allowed 379 yards per game through the air. 
if they let that happen to Mac Jones, who at the very least has not taken a step forward into his third year, some people I've seen say he's taken a step back. What do you think is going to be the key to kind of bringing the past defense more towards the mean and not continue to be the worst? That's where they that's where they ended last year was the past defense was the worst. That can't continue to happen. No, no, it can't at all. And as Rex Ryan said this week, as we all know probably, which which made the news cycle so vicious, you know, this is not your dad's Baltimore Ravens defense. And Rex brought it all the way back to 2021, you know, over the last 19 games or so. This team is not operating to the standards and expectations that they set for themselves in the secondary. So, yeah, I, I think specifically it probably starts up front even, Sarah, with some pressure. We know that the defensive front came out guns blazing against the Jets in week one, but they cooled off and cooled off in a big way in the second half against Miami. And all of a sudden, as we talked about in the postgame episode, um, after the week two you know, collapse that you alluded to off the top, the defensive front not getting to Tua really put the secondary in a vulnerable scenario and situation that we watched play out and just a brutal fashion in that fourth quarter, uh, allowing Miami to hang 28, 28 on them in, in one four, in one quarter. So, you know, to me, it starts with a little bit more pressure up front. And then, you know, we could talk about the secondary throughout this entire episode based on the communication and the miscues or really lack thereof when it comes to communication that went wrong for them on Sunday. You know, it's, it's, it's not just about taking the right angles and staying disciplined. It's just flat out making sure that the corners all the way on down to the safeties are in communication with, you know, matchups and routes and who's doing what. John Harbaugh can talk about this until he's blue in the face, Sarah, but if they're not communicating with one another and covering the back end of the field, then who's to say Mac Jones can't do exactly what or at least a fraction of what Tua did in the second half? Right on that one blown coverage to Tyreek Hill, it was like uh, both uh, Kyle Hamilton and, and Marcus uh, Williams were playing up towards the line of scrimmage right next to each other. And it's pretty clear that Kyle Hamilton wasn't in the right spot. And so if you do that, even to somebody somebody like Mac Jones, Mac Jones is an NFL quarterback and he's going to find an open receiver if, you're, if your secondary is just literally in the wrong the wrong spot. So one thought I wanted to kind of touch on when you brought up Rex Ryan and you had talked about him saying that this isn't your dad's defense, right? Your dad's Ravens defense. And outside of his comment, which I thought was a low blow on Mike McDonald in just his second game with three rookies in the back end. And, you know, you can always look at that as an excuse or a legitimate, you know, point to make. Uh, But outside of that, I thought Rex Ryan was right in that the Ravens' defense isn't closing out games. And so that got me thinking, Bobby, there's like a little bit of an identity crisis in Baltimore right now. And that's and maybe crisis is a bit of a, a strong word. Maybe it's more that they just have to find their identity. Because, listen, we all know that defense is what made teams not want to play against Baltimore in the past. Okay, and it's unfair to like compare it to you know two Hall of Famers and in Ray Lewis and Ed Reed, sure. But to go to becoming a team that can't close out, you know, you don't need Hall of Famers to do that. And so that's on the defensive side where you're like, okay, 
the Ravens aren't closing out games. And then on the offensive side, the Ravens kind of built this offense for bully ball. And um, on one side, it's good news that this passing offense is through the roof right now. The offensive line, which I thought would be better at, you know, blocking for the run has been great. Lamar Jackson is, I believe, number one in passer rating right now. That's not even QBR because QBR, you know, includes uh, your rushing. But he's number one in passer rating. And the rushing game is going nowhere. So it's like, who are these 2022 Ravens? I don't think we have an answer yet because I'm not ready to give up on the rushing attack and I'm not ready to give up on the defense just yet. But it is completely the opposite of what we thought they were going to be. We thought it would be run heavy with a couple of big plays here and there. They've got the big plays, but they're everywhere. It's the only thing that's working. So I'm just interested. Who is this 2022 Ravens going to be? Are you going to be a defense that can't finish a rushing attack that can't bully people over and then just a big play threat. I I don't know. I think it's too early to say, but that is one storyline that I think I'm very interested in following heading into week three. Sarah, while it's a small sample size, which is kind of what you're getting at through two weeks to me, the Ravens have the 2022 Ravens have shown us that they, as long as JK Dobbins and Gus Edwards are not healthy and available, which We know hopefully that's temporary, especially for Dobbins, which seems a lot more imminent in terms of return and status, things of that nature, compared to to Gus Edwards. They might have to become a team that beats you through the air. And to your point, this is not something that we necessarily saw coming this year. We knew that they were riding with their guys. We knew that they're all in on Rashad Bateman as a true number one. Mm -hmm. He's certainly proven that through two weeks. We know they're high on the newly acquired Demarcus Robinson and what he can provide, and I think they feel he's an upgrade over Sammy Watkins, who tried to fill a similar role a year ago. They love Devin Duvernay as a return specialist and also somebody who's really risen to the occasion as a number two behind Bateman. And after that, obviously, there's a lot of question marks. But, Sarah, to say that this team is going to have to beat you through the air based on the way we know they're constructed scheme-wise and roster-wise, offensively speaking, is very jarring. But can they do that on a weekly basis? I don't know. And how much longer will we be talking about potentially having to beat teams through the air when we don't know when J.K. Dobbins will come back? And, And when he does come back, as we saw in the second half against Miami for Marcus and Marlon, how much of a pitch count will he be on? Well, this is interesting, Bobby. I think this gets into kind of like game planning for for this game. I'm very interested in seeing how Bill Belichick attacks this offense. Because like you said, okay, right now it's been the Ravens are winning through the air or the Ravens are succeeding through the air. They won the first week. Okay. If I'm Bill Belichick, I watch the first two games and I see the Jets committing, just stacking the box to stop the run. And then I'm watching Miami stacking the box, cover zero, blitzing, all of this. Didn't win. Okay. If I'm also Bill Belichick, I'm seeing how terrible the Ravens have been running and how terrible they've been on third down. Um, New England's run defense has been the most efficient area of their team. They rank fifth in both rushing yards allowed per game and per attempt. 
and and the Ravens stink there right now. And so why, if I'm Bill Belichick, I'm going to be like, you know what? Okay. Given this running attack and how lackluster it's been, what if I play a more conservative defense, see if they can, you know, run better. I'm not going to give up these big plays. I'm going to focus on Rashad Bateman. I'm going to focus on making sure that they can't get over our heads. And then I'm going to rely on guys like their nose tackle. Uh, there we go. Christian Barmore. Okay. Big boy, six four, three ten. Rely on somebody like that. Rely on Matthew Judon, knowing that he can, you know, he knows Lamar. Just because you know Lamar doesn't mean you can catch Lamar, but he knows Lamar. Yeah. And what if we play this different? I think I would do that and just say, okay, well, you're getting all these touchdowns, big plays. Ravens have become big plays. What if I play conservative, don't let the big plays get through, and let's see how – let's see their run game because it's not looking so so good right now, especially on third and fourth and short. Ravens have to be better in the third down efficiency department, as we've discussed in recent days. Uh, three of ten on Sunday against Miami – shows you just how well the offense was moving in in one breath, but then they were unable to cash in. Now, the Ravens are going to have to basically reinvent the wheel. It sure seems like, Sarah, leading up to the returns of, of Dobbins and Edwards. And based on what John Harbaugh said, watching the tape, reading the tea leaves, this is not an offensive line issue. This is a personnel issue. And that's my big takeaway from what I've heard from the staff. Would you agree about that? Because, you know, we're coming off a week where Lamar Jackson was sacked zero times and hit zero times. This offensive line deserves some flowers. I halfway agree with you, Bobby. I I think it might be a bit of a personnel issue at running back at that actual position. Honestly, Mike Davis talking about these short yardage situations logically I mean to me it was understandable that Greg Roman was using him quite a bit in short yardage situations he's the biggest bodied back you know you're like can he be 80 percent maybe of what Gus Edwards is when it's short and you need to like bulldoze people I mean every single time Bobby I went back and it's like Mike Davis up the middle and stuffed zero gain or minus one or minus two like to me as soon as jk gets back i feel like it's going to be mike davis who is the one who's either inactive or cut he just has provided nothing in there i think based off of what john harbaugh said justice hill will get more looks i think he's looked the best although there was an iffy decision when he was he lamar pitched to him out left and he went out of bounds instead of cutting up what I thought was the parting of the Red Sea. Now, I don't know if that guarantees he would have made a house call, but he would have made, I mean, a good 15, 20 yards more, and the Ravens had three timeouts. Didn't hurt him in the end. They scored on that drive right before the half, but you want to see better decision-making. Now, when it comes to the offensive line, I studied this in depth because I had to go. I went on film study with with Ken McCusick this week. The, the offensive line, I agree, deserves flowers in pass protection. Really, really good pass protection. I think there was only once where I feel like Pat McCary really let 
some pressure through. Pat McCary will do like a slow death where he gets pushed back, but it's not like he just lets people through. He kind of gets pushed back, but Lamar works with that okay. Lamar can has like this sixth sense behind him, and he can feel almost innately like this this pressure coming. So so he's fine. McCary's been fine, and Lamar's been, got the ball out quick. So the only time I saw McCary let something go through was on that pass to Likely. That's why that that Lamar overthrew, and it looked like they called the flag and they picked it up. I mean, McCary just got beat, and it did look like a holding to me. I was surprised that they they picked it up. So that's so yes, pass protection has been great. But in in addition to running back personnel, and I do think this is fixable. But the offensive line for sure has a lot of blame in these short situations. There was more than once where Morgan Moses got beat on swim moves. There was a couple times I saw Powers. And I think McCarry get beat on swim moves. I actually think looking back, um, Linderbaum did did pretty good, but there were lots of missed blocks, and Harbaugh did did talk about that also. So if they wanted to, I think they could put Cleveland in. I think Cleveland would be a better run blocker than Powers, who Powers I thought had a great game. In fact, that seventy nine yard touchdown run um, by Lamar Jackson was one of the keys to that was was Powers pulling and picking up two two defenders. They were huge blocks. It was it was very good. But I still think Cleveland would bring you more. So I wouldn't say offensive line is great and the running backs are bad. I think the 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 offensive line needs to hit their blocks better and not get beat in the rushing game. So I think it's a combination of both of why it's not doing well. But I do think that they can get better at finding their blocks and I would like to see Cleveland in there give Justice Hill the ball a little bit more. And then, you know, it wouldn't be surprising to me, Bobby, that JK is back this week to have two full weeks. He's on track to have two full weeks of full practice participation. Man, if it's not this week, I think I, I don't know. Surprise isn't the right word, but I'm kind of thinking he could go this week. Well, you'd like to think it's got to be this week or next, right? Or else they would have placed him on short-term IR with guys like Tyus Bowser, who at the very earliest can be available week five. So that's something to look out for. Let's talk about this coaching matchup a little bit. We, t- we mentioned it off the top, two of the longest tenured NFL head coaches, and John Harbaugh began his Wednesday press conference with this. You try to study the best in the business, in, in your profession, right? So I studied Coach Belichick. You know, you try to, as much as I can, you know, you're not, you're not in their meeting rooms, you know, but you watch their tape all the time and you see what he says and what you think they're trying to do. So... Nothing but uh, the utmost uh, admiration and respect, and uh, that's what makes it so meaningful to go up there and compete, you know, against those guys and against his team. We often talk about the game within the game, Sarah, and both these guys, Coach Belichick and Coach Harbaugh, will one day, of course, be in Canton, and, man, it should be fun to watch this one play out in terms of, you know, the offensive minds and just overall coaching minds that these guys bring to the table. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be an important matchup. I mean, you can't make mistakes, coaching mistakes against Bill Belichick. He's not perfect, but, you know, you you do. You you have to, like, in moments where you see that your two safeties might be lined up <laughs> next to each other, can, can, can the coaching staff and John Harbaugh be quick enough to call a timeout and say, hey, I noticed we weren't right there. <laughs> we were not right, so let's get people in the right position or – um, make sure that your your fourth down calls are are on point, you know, that, you know, you definitely know what the analytics are, but you also have a feel for the game or 
Are we going uh, the right time on fourth downs? Are we putting everybody in the right position? Are you know, it's just this constant chess chess match, the game within the game, and and I am interested. And so if if Bilicek comes and shows a, de- a different defensive front from what the Ravens have seen in week one and two with loading the box, are you able to be flexible and, and move around? So I don't think you can underscore more how important it is that that John Harbaugh be on top of his game when he's going up against really the GOAT, you know, the GOAT. So what's also interesting, Bobby, is um, Bill Belichick talked about Lamar Jackson in his press conference, and then Lamar Jackson talked about Bill in his press conference, which was some pretty funny stuff. Do you guys do much work on Lamar or get to know him at all in 2018? Yeah, he visited here. What do you remember about him during the pre-draft process? Good. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Great visit. Spent a lot of time with him. Yeah, really interesting guy. Obviously, him uh, grow in the league. Obviously, he came in and questions about whether he could handle being in the pocket. He seemed to answer some of the questions. Without a doubt, it's the type of player that's a uh, you know MVP type of candidate. So I think he's more than answered him. But we'll see what his contract is. I'll answer him. <laughs> Leave it to Bill to bring back up the contract again, Bobby. We keep trying to move away from it. <laughs> and Bill Belichick brings it right back on. Uh, it's kind of funny. that We talked about this a little bit in the morning vault. Uh, I think a lot of people interpreted that, Bobby, as um, Bill kind of like razzing the Ravens a little bit. Like, are you guys going to pay him or what? Because I would. Uh, but after listening to that, I kind of agree with you. I don't think that's what he was trying to say. My first interpretation and, and something that I just makes complete sense to me is that he was more so just commenting on all the questions that, that once surrounded Lamar as an NFL quarterback, right? And once someone pays him, whether it's the Ravens organization or another NFL franchise, those dollar figures will ultimately answer the questions. And I think he was just making a, a, a sly little under his breath remark. So uh, nonetheless, I, I think it's it's always funny. I get a big kick out of listening to his media conferences, Sarah, because as I said on the morning vault, he just sounds downright miserable. But yet I think there's <laughs> like almost this bit, this funny nature about it that the r- reporters know he hates it. He knows he hates the obligation. And it all kind of just works out to be this 30 minutes of theater every single Wednesday. Well, and one other thing I want to, because I want to get to the sound on on Lamar talking on uh, Bill Belichick. But you know, one thing about answering questions that came out of that came out of college, you know, that stuff really does just linger in people's minds, and I think makes them a bit biased. Like, I'm I was looking around because I'm you know trying to do research on Mac Jones this morning, this and that. It's not like I've watched his full games. Um, trying to do some research, and so I was reading like lots of different quarterback power rankings this morning. And, and of course, Mac Jones is kind of in the 20s in most places. Lamar is usually in the top five. But it's just so interesting to me that people like Justin Herbert, for example, just constantly is in top three and oftentimes ranked ahead of Lamar. And I'm like, but what has Herbert done? Like, I mean, he throws a, a great ball. And I don't mean to like, I mean, he's a great quarterback. But to constantly put him ahead of Lamar is, like, mind-boggling to me. Lamar has been so successful, obviously has the playoffs to to get through. It's not like Herbert, though, is, like, some playoff genius. And he just constantly gets the And so for Lamar even to be in the top five, he has to play at MVP level like he has the first two weeks, where he's just carried the team. And he has to, like, 
be Superman for people to rank him ahead of guys who just constantly get the benefit of the doubt. And it just, it's whatever. It's, it's always, it's always following him. It, it drives me nuts. It just makes it seem like because he's such a unicorn and because his game is so, you know, one of one and, and unfamiliar to scouts, as we've talked about over the years, you know, and all the questions that surrounded him that until he consistently wins in the postseason, maybe he doesn't get that kind of national respect from those types of out, outlets. I mean, we know his resume is you, you can't even stack it up against a guy like Justin Herbert right now. And and that's okay, right? Justin Herbert's young. Both these guys are young. Like, there's always these, yeah. these comparison stories, these content pieces that we talk about just because it's a national, from a national perspective and people care about it. It kind of reminds me of, one of our segments in the morning vault this week, analyzing why Lamar's PFF grade was so low as the sixth highest graded offensive player on the Ravens roster in that Miami loss. Wait a second here. Like take away the analytics, take away the system and the calculations that go into these numbers. Show me the tape. Show me what one specific player did from a will standpoint to keep his team in it. It was, it was almost perfect. It was a perfect passer rating against the cover zero blitz and one of his best all-time games. And that's saying something because he's put a lot on film over his now five years in the NFL. So in some cases, I just say, man, this stuff's nonsense, you know, but I get it because people care and evaluators care about this. So it it is worth talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Like sixth best offensive player. Okay. If you took away number number six that was graded Ravens get destroyed worse than they did just destroyed it's like 41 to 10 okay and but if you took away one of the top five guys that were graded I still think the Ravens put up 30 plus points so uh you know well maybe if you took out Mark Andrews maybe maybe not because uh, he draws so much attention, but it just it's just bananas to me. It's just bananas to me. So anyway, what's nice about Lamar is he is always laughing. He's always f- so much fun to listen to at Podium. Let's just finish this up. We kind of got off track. We were talking about Bill on Lamar. Let's get Lamar. He, he was asked about his pre-draft process when he met Bill Belichick. Check this out. Um, usually I see him, he's like puzzle face, like a straight face. God, when I see him smile, I'm like, dang, you, you got humor. Like, I told him that. He was like, yeah. I'm like, I wasn't expecting you to be smiling. Like, <laughs> Do you remember what made him smile? No. <laughs> no, I don't. Bobby, if I were in Lamar's spot, I would have the exact same reaction because we're always so used to, like, the Bill Belichick that we listened to in that first sound, right, that it's just, like, mumbling, doesn't want to be there, appears horrible. It actually reminds me, this is so random, my dad has always had a mustache. From the moment I was born, he's had a mustache. And um, one time he randomly decided to shave it. And we all freaked out because we could see his smile more. We could see all that. We were like, grow it back, grow it back. We don't like it was so weird. And that's how I feel like it would be to see Bill Belichick smile that it's like, oh, this is I don't know what to do with this. Go back to being miserable, Bill. I just don't even know how I would deal with it. Lamar could have taken that answer to that question in so many different directions but he's so playful there's nothing disrespectful about it they clearly have you know admiration for one another mutual respect for one another talking about Belichick and and Jackson and and it was just 
so refreshing as it always is when he steps to the podium with everything going on in his life and just the mega superstar that he's become over his years as the Ravens quarterback and all the controversy and negotiation talk and contract related stuff. And he's still able to just step up there, uh, stay composed, be himself. He literally has not changed a bit. That's what they say. That's what they say. I, I had a chance to interview Bobby Petrino one time when I was working in local radio in Baltimore. And of course he coached Lamar at Louisville. And just based on that's, here's a guy who, when a lot of other teams, Sarah, you know, around the, the big power five slate within the college football world were not up to commit to Lamar. They were passing on Lamar. Bobby Petrino and his staff saw something in him. And I just think from from the South Florida, you know, humble beginnings that he and his wonderful mother, Felicia Jones, have come from and now to be here, it just seems based on what Coach Petrino told me what we've gathered over the years covering him and, and just watching him interact with this fan base and be a, a consummate professional. He literally has not changed for one second, one one way within his unique personality. And I think that just that needs to be said every once in a while because, like I said, the, the news cycle can get so vicious at times that we forget that there are human beings behind these jersey numbers. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And Bobby, I mean, that's just without said. Let's change gears a little bit here, but still within the Lamar Jackson topic. Let's dig into a little bit more about his play. I think we've seen, uh, for me at least, I've seen Lamar uh, certainly, he's always commanded the offense. But the Ravens are playing a lot more under center. And Lamar's audibled in the past, but boy, oh boy, did I see him up there audibling and taking control of play calls more than I've ever seen. So let's look at some more sound and, and we'll talk after that. Let's first start with Brian Baldinger's. As good as two of the Dolphins were on Sunday, Lamar Jackson might have been better. Like maybe the Ravens lead the league in passing. 
Like, you watch these throws right here of Lamar. Like, from the pocket, it's just a, an absolute clinic. You know, and then he's just a commander-in-chief. Like, you watch this right here. He's got everybody under control. He changes the play. Here it is. And the throw, again, step up in the pocket right here. Set your feet. Everything you're supposed to do, he's doing just so easily. And the throw is perfect. And then, already, in five years, he has more 100-yard rushing games as a quarterback than any quarterback in NFL history. He's just getting started. His breakdown of Lamar, and then after that, we'll get Harbs talking about how he's as taking command as of the offense. As good as two of the Dolphins were on Sunday, Lamar Jackson might have been better. Like, maybe the Ravens lead the league in passing. Like, you watch these throws right here of Lamar. Like, from the pocket, it's just a, an absolute clinic. You know, and then he's just a commander-in-chief. Like, you watch this right here. He's got everybody under control. He changes the play. Here it is. And the throw, again, step up in the pocket right here. Set your feet. Everything you're supposed to do, he's doing just so easily. And the throw is perfect. And then, already, in five years, he has more 100-yard rushing games as a quarterback than any quarterback in NFL history. He's just getting started. It's hard to compare. I mean, the offense is not the same as it was in years past. He has a, I'll say this, he has a lot of say in it. I mean, you know, you saw in the game, I think, how much was done at the line of scrimmage. So, you know, it's always a collaboration, you know, between uh, the quarterback and, the, you know, his headsets and the guys on the field and, and the play calling and all that. Uh, you never, no, Nobody's ever out there by themselves. Uh, but he has, he has he op- I think he operated that game, you know, A-plus. You know, and all the things he was asked to do, which was a lot at the line of scrimmage, he did very well with it, and it was impressive. Yeah, Bobby, impressive is the exact right word. I, again, have seen Lamar audible at the offense uh, at the line of scrimmage before, but not at the not the amount that was happening. And there's so many examples that you could choose from, but the first one that I noticed in that game was when he saw he recognized a cornerback blitz that was going to come pre-snap. And so he went up to the line of scrimmage, checked it, and he was right. Xavier Howard came right at him. He got rid of the ball right to Rashad Bateman. Easy first down. Safety didn't get there quick enough to take Howard's spot, and and Bateman was able to get more yards. I mean, it was just all game long, and it just reminded me. I mean, I grew up watching John Elway because I grew up in Colorado. Like, I just remember him doing that stuff all the time, and I was like, Look at this, man. Look at this. This is just, I just love seeing Lamar taking command, recognizing the defenses, and then taking advantage of it. You said it earlier on in the episode. He's got great feel. And I think you could say the same. And you were, that your point that you made there was more so with oncoming edge rushers and pressure. But I think the same Mm -hmm. can be said with just the way that he commands this offense, as Baldy said. And man, Baldy's, his breakdowns are, so thorough and it's literally him just like with his iphone by the way watching like just running film clips on youtube or twitter or wherever he finds this film (laughs) so it's like really basic stuff but he does a great job at zooming in and showing you like specifically the pre-snap communication maybe even in in this case for lamar on on sunday against miami so yeah i guess this is just the maturation process and and the evolution of lamar jackson who like like we said through through two early weeks has become quite a, a lethal passer. And this Ravens offense is is running through the air for the first time in the Lamar era, Sarah. 
It's, it's awesome to see. And he may have, you know, it's, it's a lot of people will say, well, he could have done this. He did it in college. He could have done it earlier. And, uh, you know, I, I don't doubt it. I mean, it's just, it just looks so natural to him. What'll be interesting this week, Bobby, is he's obviously going to be matching up a little bit with uh, Matthew Judon, the former Ravens outside linebacker. And it's interesting because the Patriots, Judon, by the way, is off to a great start. He already has two sacks. He's had one in each game. They weren't like these easy gimme sacks, especially last week. He was chasing down Trubisky and, and got him down before he hit, went to the sideline. So he's off to a good start. They're using him. The Patriots are using him a bit different than the Ravens did. As we know, the Ravens use their outside linebackers to drop in coverage a lot. I mean, that's especially Tyus Bowser. But in New England, they're using him as a pure pass rusher pure pass rusher. Um, Lamar was asked about Matthew Judon and he's like, yeah, I hope he doesn't sack me. (laughs) It's his job to try. But he's like, when I watch the tape, he's everywhere. He's just Judon being Judon. And he's, uh, he's, he's smarter. He, because he's why he's older and wiser. He's been around the league. So that's going to be an interesting matchup. And you hope, I mean, last week, the offensive line did so well, zero quarterback hits, zero sacks. Let's keep that trend going against Matthew Judon. He's going to be playing with a little bit of of a chip on his shoulder, more so than he already does on a weekly basis, Sarah, for two reasons. One, he's searching for his 50th career sack. He's been around for a while now. He's had a lot of success. And two, not that the Ravens were, were the ones who sort of let him walk. Well, they did let him walk. But I think it, he ultimately did not want to be in Baltimore. I, I get that sense based on being close to that situation, watching it unfold and play out a couple of years ago. And, and I think he wants to obviously prove his worth. You know, the Ravens let him walk. And and, and that's just yeah. the bottom line, you know. So, I mean, I know that Judon had some issues about the way that he was utilized within the Ravens' defensive scheme under Wink Martindale. So, to your point, I think the Patriots are really sort of um, taking advantage of his skill set more so to his liking. And I think that that's – so far, that's that's worked out pretty well for Judon. So – It'll be curious to see what that reuniting looks like and whether or not Lamar can avoid him to ensure that 50th sack doesn't happen on Sunday. Oh, he's going to be so motivated. Judon's going to be so motivated. What player doesn't want to go back, play against their former team, and be like, see, you shouldn't have let me go. You should have paid me, (laughs) all that kind of stuff. So, hey, one more thing on the Lamar Jackson topic, and then we'll move on to some other stuff here, Bobby. I thought there was some interesting sound coming out of Ravens Productions. Um, They did a Wired piece uh, off of the Week 2 game against Miami, And there's some sound here after wide receiver Demarcus Robinson scored a touchdown. I think at that point in the game, that was the third uh, receiving touchdown. Not to mention that, you know, Devin Duvernay, a receiver, scored on a kickoff return. So I want to talk about, I want to play this and then talk about it afterwards. This is Demarcus Robinson on the sideline after he scored a touchdown. Touchdown, Demarcus Robinson! And the Ravens extend the lead with their fourth touchdown of the opening half. I like it. I like it. Hey, like hey, our birthday we Wednesday. Like Yo, our birthday. quarterback ain't got to run no more. Come on, man. Come on, man. <laughs> All right, so our quarterback doesn't need to run anymore. So that is exactly what I want a wide receiver to feel. That's exactly the attitude I want to have. That, like, don't make your quarterback run. Let's let our quarterback throw the ball because I'm on the receiving end of this. He can rely on me, all that. Keep up that attitude. And by the way, if you haven't seen it, you got to go back and watch. It's hilarious because 
Keith Williams is trying to come talk to them after that. And he is trying so hard not to crack a smile when Robinson's like, our quarterback ain't got to run no more. And he's just trying to keep it professional. But you can tell he's trying not to crack up there. So so let me just say this. So I love this attitude from Demarcus Robinson. But, I mean, the irony of it is I'm pretty sure on the next drive or a couple drives later, Lamar, you know, breaks that 79-yard touchdown. This is my own little pet peeve. I feel like... Ravens fans kind of fall into a trap of all the time you post something on Twitter or something else. And there's some, you know, wise fan who's so original and and says Lamar RB, right? Oh, he's a running back. He's a running back. He's a running back. And so that's such a trolling thing to do that the natural reaction is to say, well, no, he's not. Look what he does in the air. And there's plenty of proof to show he can go through the air. Now, at the same time, I just think that trolling allows Ravens fans to be like, yeah, let's not run him anymore, ever. But simultaneously, we say, well, that's not even how he gets injured. When he gets injured, it's it's when he's you know dropping back as a traditional quarterback and is in the pocket. That's the most dangerous place to be, this and that. Listen, I, Lamar definitely loves passing. That's what he prefers. And that's what he sh- that's that should be the majority of what he does. At the same time, no other quarterback in the history of this game can do what he can do with his legs. If you gave his legs to Tom Brady, if you gave his legs to Aaron Rodgers, if you gave his legs to any of these other quarterbacks, would you let trolls push you into saying, "Yeah, let's not use them anymore?" It's just so it's just so crazy to me. Why should we pretend that he doesn't have it? Why should we pretend that that's not an additional advantage? He's proven he can throw. We all know it. So who cares that the, that the the trollers are out there saying Lamar RB? Like who cares? He's doing both. And here's what I feel like with Lamar that I feel like I totally agree with. He will do what it takes to win the game. So the last two weeks with these defenses stacking the box and say, Lamar, we dare you to throw. We dare you to beat beat us with your arm. So he took the dare and he answered. Now, if Bill Belichick comes around and he decides to play, he's, by the way, Patriots have an excellent safety group, just like the Ravens do, very deep. Although Kyle Duggar is questionable. He left the game last week. He hasn't practiced yet, so that'll, that's, a, that's a big one to watch. But they've got a, a great deep safety group. They've got good corners. I mean, if, if Bill Belichick decides, I'm going to play it safe, and I'm no longer going to let Lamar and Bateman and all these other guys get over our head, and, and if there's something open like the 79-yard run, then you use it. So, so you know, I think Demarcus Robinson should be saying what he's saying because he's a receiver. But I just don't think that as coaches or Ravens fans that we should feed into this, oh, it's embarrassing that our quarterback can run. It's not embarrassing. It's an asset on top of his already great, amazing passing skills, which is why he's number one in passer rating right now. He can do both. Don't let anybody troll you into saying don't run him anymore. I'll finish with this take on Michael Irvin. How about this? Because the freezing cold takes Twitter account should have this ready to go. And I am willing to provide it if they would like it. 
But you know, you know, you're familiar with this account, right, Sarah? Yes, I am. Yes, it's a, it's a good one. <laughs> Michael Irvin should literally be pinned to the top of this account for the rest of football season for his ridiculous take suggesting that Lamar, after one week of football, wasn't running enough because of his contract status being in limbo yeah. in terms of long term. How's that looking after Sunday against Miami? You're right, Sarah. Like he plays <laughs> to win the game. And if he needs to win the yep. game through the air, he's willing and able and more than capable. But when the window and lane opens up, you better believe that he's going to give you a Kevin Harlan esque, he is Houdini, 79 yarder to the house, because that's what makes eight special. So, anyway. All right, Sarah, before one of us gets too fired up, let's shift gears because as we were recording just within the last few moments here, Josina Anderson, who has been as plugged in as anybody on the national circuit to this story, has reported that Jason Pierre-Paul, the free agent pass rusher, texted her that he is officially joining the Ravens. So uh, I guess the business side just took a little bit of extra, you know what, obviously as we tape this right now, it remains unconfirmed by the team, but this seems like a no-brainer, and we've been on top of it the last couple of days, and Josina confirms it. Well, it's interesting because once I heard the number, Ian Rappaport reported the number, and once I saw that, and I was like, well, no wonder it took so long. <laughs> um, it's worth, according to Rappaport, it's a one-year deal worth up to $5.5 million. Now, it's always important to remember the up to. So the up to part has a lot of gray. So until we see how this is structured, which usually it takes a couple days, I'd be very interested in how much is going on the cap this season. Um, the Ravens, according to over the cap, had about $5.4 million prior to this, and they're going to need more money. So uh, that tells me there's probably a lot in this like incentive-based part of his deal. And which means like if you make it, you know, if you hit X number of sacks, then you'll get this much more money. And if, you know, the Ravens go to the playoffs and you're playing and or you get so many snaps or you get so many uh, tackles or all sorts of stuff that they can put in there. So I'd be very interested to see how much of this is actually going to hit the cap because they are going to need more cap spaces. You know, inevitable injuries will come along. 5.5 up to 5.5. That's a lot more than a veteran minimum. So, you know, that to me tells me, you know, why it took so long, but also, you know, I'm reading reports that it could have happened sooner, but Jason wanted to make sure that he was fully healthy. He had that, isn't it a rotor t rotator cuff injury from last year? Yeah, Sarah, matter of fact, you got to go back to just this past February when he actually had shoulder surgery to repair the rotator cuff tear. So I guess the question becomes, because of how desperate the Ravens are, but, but also not exactly knowing how quickly or long it might take for JPP to get up and running. How do they balance being desperate and also wanting to be careful <laughs> with a guy who is coming off a pretty significant tear? Yeah, that is the question is how quickly is he going to be ready to go? I mean, man, if he's in as of today, we'll see today being Thursday that we're recording this. Maybe he can practice Friday and then they have walkthrough Saturday. I mean, look, this is a seasoned veteran. This is a guy who has 90.5 sacks. I mean, just one of the, yeah, he's a two-time Super Bowl champion. He was a key part of Tampa Bay going all the way in 2020. And then he 
you know, went back and only had 2.5 sacks last season, but you have to think that it has to do with that shoulder. So listen, he's been in for two visits. So the Ravens have clearly gotten a good look on his shoulder and are moving forward. Now, I don't know if that means his shoulder is for sure 100% or if the Ravens are kind of in a desperate place right now uh, with only two outside linebackers. You know, they still believe that Tyus Bowser will be back soon, but I don't know that that's for sure going to be week five because when you're on the PUP list, you can't practice. So I imagine Bowser will be ready quickly after he comes off the PUP, but, uh, you know, quickly is relative for everybody. Is that one week, two or two weeks or three weeks? Won't be more than three weeks. So, so I, you know, I wonder, like, how much of this is, like, yeah, this took a while just because... You know, we wanted to make sure his shoulder is good, and we now know his shoulder is good, or his shoulder is maybe 90%, but we need somebody, so <laughs> there's no other choice here. So, um, but like I said, if, if he is good to go, and he's in shape, and his shoulder feels good, this is a veteran who, even though he's not tuned into this defense quite yet, I mean, he can go out there and be a pass rusher. If, if Mike McDonald is like, look, you go out there, you pin your ears back, and you go get Mike McDonald, excuse me, Mac Jones, if you know, put your ears back and go get Mac Jones. He can do that. He can definitely do that. Sarah, as we discussed on the morning vault this week, prior to last year, which we now know was sort of ruined because of the rotator cuff, the the the, the shoulder setback, and the ankle setback. He combined for over thirty sacks from the twenty eighteen to twenty twenty seasons in Tampa Bay. If he can give this team even a fraction of that kind of production over the course of the next couple of months, while the Ravens hopefully get back Tyus Bowser and 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 David Ajabo, then that's that's a win. I know this is not the vet minimum deal that maybe we expected the Ravens to bring him in for. I guess credit JPP and the camp around him; they know uh, how to negotiate. And Eric DaCosta, uh, maybe they really understood more so than anything else how desperate this team is right now, right? So uh, right. in a lot of ways, that that could have ended up getting this thing across the finish line, knowing how uh, really they need bodies, capable bodies. So, uh, But again, if, if, if he can provide stability until those guys get back uh, and prove that maybe he is still that same guy pre-2021, Baltimore is going to emerge as the winner here. Oh, for sure. I mean, this is a no-brainer signer. I think it was the right move. And I just want to say one thing. You know, I just see a lot of people being like, okay, it's a 33-year-old. And we both agree. I don't know that he's going to be a hero, but it's a no-brainer. You know, I think we all were saying this deal's, you know, going to get done, got to get done as long as the money's right and he's healthy. Um, but, I mean, the Ravens, is just unreal what's happened at the outside linebacker position. And so, you know... Eric DaCosta having to rely on a 33-year-old because he loses his top coverage outside linebacker the last week of, of, of the season last year. So he's got Ferguson, and by all accounts, Ferguson is playing really well. All the reporters saying he's ready to take the next step, and then he passes away. So then you're like, all right, well, let's bring in somebody with some legit depth to help us out until our two guys can get back in, in Ojabo and and Bowser. And by the way, he's taking a flyer on Ojabo because he's top he's top what? 10 top 15 talent that we were talking about the Ravens drafting him in the first round with their number 14 pick and they end up getting in the second. If you can like hold on for half the season to get that back, yeah, that's a smart move by Eric DaCosta. And so then you bring in Vince Beagle to get some some depth. And then Vince Beagle goes down. So I mean, look, this isn't like 
his first choice, Eric DaCosta, but it's the right choice based off of the situation they found him in. Eric DaCosta didn't know Ferguson was going to pass away. He didn't know that the depth he brought in with Vince Bingle was going to like tear his Achilles again. And, and, but you know, he just keeps plugging away, keeps plugging away. And based off of the situation that the Ravens have allowed, um, have found themselves in, this is the right move, even though we don't know if he can, he's going to be a hero, but whether he is or not, if he can help them get through a couple weeks till these reinforcements get back, plus you have this veteran experience in the playoffs come playoff times. Yeah. Yeah. That's a nice thing to have. All right, Bob, we've been going at this for a little while. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. Your favorite part of the show, your favorite part of the preview. We're going to go into predictions of this game. What do you All got? Right. Yeah, so I got to get back in the good graces of Ravens Nation, I believe, even though I did predict the week two loss. You were right. Uh, I know, I know, but I'm going to go back. I'm going to try and get back again within good graces uh, within the Ravens Flock Nation, and I'm going to go with a Ravens week three win, 28-24, to 24. You know, there's a couple reasons why. It has been a brutal, brutal week in a one-winning drive, I would imagine, in terms of just the reality for this defense, taking a look at what needs to be corrected top-down, watching the film, watching the lack of communication and the miscues. And I think while a lot of these guys are learning on the fly, I think getting a guy like Brandon Stevens back in the lineup, with the Raven, which the Ravens hope he'll be ready to go come Sunday, will bode well for them. I think maybe the pitch counts being less demanding and more flexible for both Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey will bode well for a secondary that needs that leadership, needs that experience. And I think, you know, from a game speed standpoint too, hopefully Marcus Peters, who was burned in one of those by the one of those touch Tyree kill touchdowns, right? He was. But getting him back to game speed coming off that torn ACL and playing for the first time in over a year, it, it he he needs the reps. He needs he, he needs more of that, that game flow. So I think you're only going to see a, a, a better, more equipped Marcus Peters as each week in and week out comes here down the line. So I'm going to go Ravens 28-24. We'll see what happens in Foxborough. Listen, I am predict- predicting a Ravens win. This would be... <laughs> This would be almost heading into kind of disaster area. Not that it would be over, but if the Ravens don't win this one and then you've got the Buffalo Bills, which I can already tell you, I'm not feeling good about picking the Ravens on that one. The Ravens have to get this with that game coming up. You've got to give yourself some cushion. If the Ravens lose this and then you've got the Bills coming in, they're potentially looking at a one and three start. That that would be no bueno. So, um, but, but not just because of that. I am picking the Ravens win. Listen, the Ravens secondary has a lot to prove. They've just got to do it. I think Patriots are going to be an 11 personnel a lot. I am choosing to believe John Harbaugh. He answered questions um, about injuries differently than he usually does. Usually he tries to say very vague. He was very positive and very quick about saying that they're going to have healthy, healthy guys. He literally said, we're going to be stronger with Marlon and Peters. So Marlon, who did not practice on Wednesday, I think he's getting rest. I still expect him to play. And by the way, Marlon's getting a lot of hate, but he only gave up one catch for, I believe, 15 yards against Miami. Okay. When he went down, they started scoring big time. So, but I need Marlon in there, you know, the whole game. So Peters gets another week under him. Um, Brandon Stevens is back to practice. 
I expect him to be out there. So I don't think the Ravens are going to have to rely as much against their rookies, but if they end up having to, then, you know, the Ravens could be in trouble. The, the, the Patriots offense is only averaging through two weeks, 12 points per, per game. They're 29th in the league. If this defense with Marlin or without can't contain these guys, that's a problem. That's a problem. So in my prediction, I'm going to give him more than 12 points. I'm going to have it 28-21. And with, with, with the Ravens win, they need this win. They need this win with the Bills coming up next, Bobby. All right. Our predictions are out there, partner. Week three coming up here. We got a lot to look forward to, including, of course, game day and what we have coming up after the game. We'll have our post-game reaction episode. As always, we've had morning vaults flying all week long and Sunday is a big deal for us it marks two months since our podcast has been in existence and it's been great to hear from so many vaulters I think I'm just going to coin that right now vaulters uh, throughout the globe (laughs) Ravens fans throughout the globe that have reached out to us uh, via email at baltimoreravensvault at gmail.com over our social media channels and and here we go this is a big one so looking forward to it so for my co-host and partner sarah ellison i'm bobby trossett signing off from this edition of a week three preview ravens and patriots two one and one teams are squaring off at one o'clock on sunday at gillette stadium we will talk to you after the game